You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Over 7 million different animals inhabit our planet. You'll learn whether or not should you be faced with a saltwater crocodile if you can outrun it or not. What can they teach us? So the crocodile's stomach is the most acidic of all vertebrates because they digest everything. Many species are in crisis and need your help. Join the movement at allcreaturespod.com. Welcome to the All Creatures Podcast. This is Chris. And I'm Angie. Angie, today we're going to cover, I think, a favorite of quite a few people. Definitely. Uh, it's been requested, and I'll tell you what, I feel... A lot more comfortable being in the reptile realm than last week when we were covering invertebrates. Yes. <laughs> Jellyfish is a whole different ballgame, huh? Yes. Which does go to show how much I've grown, though, since doing this podcast because many months ago, I would have thought a reptile was out of my comfort zone, which is still is. I know. Physiology is definitely much more unique than than a mammal. Mm -hmm. And of course, we'll touch mm -hmm. on that today. But yes, no, I, I'm very happy to be in back in uh, crocodile land. Yes, yes. So today we are doing the saltwater crocodile. And this was requested all the way from the UK. So across the pond from you and Damien. So shout out to Damien. He he asked us back in December and we, we you know, planned these out weeks and weeks in advance. So Damien, here you go. And this is a a great suggestion. And we just did have another suggestion uh, from a fan up in Canada, which we're going to try to get to soon. So if he's listening, we'll, we'll, we'll definitely try to put that one on the, uh, the, the old agenda. Yes. Well, thank you. And thank you, Damien and um, everyone else for your request. It's definitely fun to know that we have, we have two listeners besides our parents. Chris. So that's, <laughs> that's what we've got. <laughs> Hey, I know, I know for a fact, Jesse Golden, who I, I, I'm in touch with down in New Zealand, I know for a fact he listens, uh, cause okay. we do have hits. We have, we have quite a, yeah, we have no, quite a I'm few fans down there. And, and then in Australia, Lee, shout out to Lee, who's always active on our Facebook. I told Lee we were actually going to do one of the favorites from Australia. Uh, so here we go. The saltwater crocodile, one of a reptile. So we're revisiting reptiles again and just, Amazing, amazing. If you've, I've seen them in the wild 
Angie. I've, I've oh, seen wow. Crocs in the wild. Yes, yes. Okay. When, when I went down under you know, many, many years ago when my brother was down there, uh, early 2000s, and I went, I was up in northern Queensland, and mm-hmm. it was just south of Cairns, and went on a riverboat tour, and we saw some salties. So it was pretty cool. It was pretty cool. Oh, wow. I never knew that, Chris. See, I'm learning yeah. about you, too. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. People got to go to Australia. Like that has got to be on the bucket list. It's, I need to go back to Australia. It's a beautiful country. The people are amazing. They, I just, oh, I love them. I love Australia. I love my Kiwis too, but Australia is awesome. Well, yeah, I've never been to Australia, but when I was a lot younger and traveling through South America, I met a fellow traveler from Australia and his name was Mm -hmm. Matt. And I don't know his last name, his, you know, AO, AOL account at the time to show how long ago this was, was it was like something like mad on the move. And anyways, he was a tour guide in Australia. And so Mm -hmm. as we backpacked around South America, uh, he told me a lot about, I basically felt like I had been to Australia because he had just given me almost like a, a storytelling tour and he had just made it sound so beautiful and majestic and raw, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. Kind of like the motherland, like Africa, right? Like just, it's just, and it's huge. It's a huge continent. Right. It's, it's enormous. Australia is enormous. Mm-hmm. And I think it's like, well, uh, yeah, different climates million people. and of course, yeah. crazy species, right? Which is what mm-hmm. we're, we're touching on today and hopefully more in the future. We've done the platypus before. Uh, so yeah, hopefully soon we'll do the kangaroo. Oh my gosh. I want to do the koala, the wallaby. I could go on. Yeah, we did Tassie Devil. I mean, it's, oh, that's right, it's a, yeah. it's, yeah, it's a beautiful place. We need to go and like do a live podcast from there at some point in our career. So <laughs> somebody like, invite us and host yes. us. And- <laughs> yeah. It's not cheap <laughs> to fly no, from the States, but so not cheap. So uh, not cheap. But it's, it's so worth it. It is so worth it. Well, yes. And if you guys stick with us today, uh, learning about the saltwater crocodile from down under, um, hopefully you'll learn whether or not should you be faced with a saltwater crocodile, if you can outrun it or not. At the end of the show, we'll, we'll talk to you about the speeds which they can run and compare them to humans. And then you'll be able to decide, uh, we'll probably squash some folklore that you've heard right. in the past. Right. <laughs> right. And I have some statistics on attacks and where and, and stuff like that, how much are fatal and blah, 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 blah. So we'll, we'll save that for the end because they're, they're a beautiful animal. They are, Wow. I mean, the, the saltwater crocodile is found in Australia and Southeast Asia. And then, but crocodiles in general, we'll cover some, some general crocodile stuff. We'll, we'll touch upon a little bit on the Nile crocodile, which is from Africa, but we have crocodiles near you, Angie, just a, a, a couple hundred miles south of you. There's crocs. And isn't that fascinating, Chris? I think I just learned that fact when I moved to Florida, probably about eight or nine years ago, of course, being from the U.S. and the States, everybody's familiar with the alligators. And I go, you know, I study at the University of Florida. We are the gators. But yeah, learning that there was crocodiles in our neck of the woods was surprising to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we'll cover a little bit about that. And, uh, you know, these aren't quite as ancient as the jellyfish, which we covered last week. But <laughs> That's, yeah, I that mean, was. Uh, it was I fun. It was fun. even fun it editing was a lot it. Of fun. it. Well, and how about those um, comics by Underdone Comic? Yes, Rob. We have to give a shout out to Rob Lang. That was amazing. He, incredible artist, and he, I'm so glad that that 
uh, we're able to collaborate with him and we're going to plan future species. So make sure you, you check out the comics he did for us with the immortal jellyfish. It's oh, beautiful. I mean, it's yeah. beautiful. I mean, beautiful well, and check art. out his page yeah. on Facebook as well to follow him and you'll, you'll definitely have a infusion of some solid animal humor, which we could all use yes. a little bit more yes. of <laughs> for sure. Yes. Yeah. He is, he is. And so, like Angie was saying, these are almost like dinosaurs. They lived through the last mass extinction, the fifth one, when the asteroid hit hit the Earth. It's, you know, to describe a crocodile, I think a lot well, of people kind of understand. Definitely, but Chris, it's yeah. got to be pointed out that the saltwater crocodile is the largest reptilian species alive today. The largest. It's huge. Yeah, huge. They get up to 23 feet. 23 feet. Oh my goodness. Or seven yeah. meters. I mean, yeah. and they weigh, they weigh over a ton, 2,600 pounds or the, the males, right? This is the largest one ever found. 23 feet. Like that is, that's huge. That's bigger mm-hmm. than most great white sharks. Like enormous predator, enormous predator. And I think, you know, I think it's funny because these alligators and crocodiles, people think that's what dinosaurs look like, right? And then Xander's got to love them there at the, the zoos, you know, just looking like dinosaurs. Oh, yes. And we're so lucky just being from where we're at in Florida. And then, of course, with uh, the zoo that John works at, that we get to see them and be close to them in a very safe way. And they do look like dinosaurs. I mean, I they think do. that that's how dinosaurs looked, right? Yeah. And it, it's like, you know, but now they think dinosaurs had feathers and different species, you know. Sure. So mm-hmm. we don't we don't mm-hmm. necessarily know, but I guarantee you they – most of them kind of looked like this. Like the thing is about the crocodiles is, and I'm going to get to it in evolution. They, they, they came from allosaurs, which, you know, we'll, we'll cover in a minute, but you know, just to describe them, obviously people kind of understand what crocodiles or alligators look like the, you know, long streamlined bodies, scaly skin, but it's more like leathery, you know, they make boots out of alligator skin, which, eh, you know, you shouldn't, I don't know, support, but yeah, don't, don't do it. Don't <laughs> yeah. do it. It's not worth it. Yeah. <laughs> but well, they have, they have a large head mm-hmm. and of course they're known for the ridges that run from their eyes to their snout. So when they are in the water, they don't bear, you know, barely just their eyes and their nostrils. So they look like a log when they float, if anything, as, as a way, to, um, which acts as a way to camouflage them. And then what I found really beautiful about the saltwater croc in particular, because all the different crocodiles have different patterns and a little bit similar in the, in the brown, gray, yellowish color. But green drab. Just, yeah. Green drab. Hey. Yeah, that's that what I, that's good. a good description. Yeah, that's a description I read. Green drab. Yeah. I love it. That's, yeah, yeah, I want those kind of curtains, right? That color, color of curtains. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that was like my army <laughs> uniform was green drab or olive green drab. So that's what they yeah. look like. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but they have, you know, they, on their ventral surface, it can be white or yellow in color and they almost have like stripes, if you will, for lack of better terms, on the lower side of their body, but it doesn't extend the belly. And my favorite part about the salties is their tail that kind of is almost a checkered board pattern of like gray and then yellow. Mm-hmm, I don't know if the mm-hmm. checkerboard is the right way to describe it, but I think that makes it stand out from some of the other, that really distinct pattern on the tail compared to some of the other uh, crocodiles, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. And they, some of the things they have, like, you know, just some, some termio- terminology, osteoderm, osteoderms, the, the 
bony scales or plates that kind of line their backs and kind of give them that dinosaur scaly appearance, right? So mm-hmm. that's what those are called. Just, yeah, I mean, amazing, scary looking creatures, but they're awesome. Prehistoric. I mean, they're just beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like it's just, oh, it's, you know, when you look at biodiversity, just how do you not love it? How do you not love it? We just covered jellyfish and now we're, you know, and it's just, and now we're covering crocodiles. I just, oh, when you look at the diversity on earth, it's just amazing. So I think one of the questions I had, Angie, it, it, and we're doing this because Damien requested crocs. I think if we would have chosen, we probably would have done gators because we were both, you know, gator, Florida gators down there. Um, chop, you know, chop, down at Chris. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know, I know. I loved them. I, you know, I love the gators and, and seeing them in the wild, you know, see them on campus. That's the thing people, I don't know, understand on the UF campus, there's gators in the water. I was told moving to Florida, if there's water, just think there's a gator in it and don't go swimming. <laughs> but then I see these Florida natives like water skiing and everything. I know, Chris, we went to, I, I'm from Michigan. And so I grew up, of course, on Lake Michigan, which there's very, there's nothing in there that can harm you. Right. And then of course we, I had inland lakes and rivers. And the only thing you had to worry about in rivers were leeches, had those, whatever. Inland <laughs> yes, la- I remember that story. Inland lakes, no, nothing, no problems. And then yes, I moved to mm-hmm. Florida and they're like, don't walk your small dog near water. Don't go, you know, always be safe no. near the water. And I, of course, being yeah. an adult and now having little ones, uh, I take it, my dog's pretty big. She can hold her own, but I take it very seriously. And yes, we go to some, some friends of a friend's house and they live on an inland lake here in Florida. And they, I mean, the, those are five and seven year old are just swimming in the water, like in an inland lake, with yeah. nobody's business. And they're like, Oh, there's not yeah, alligators yeah. in here. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, and there, ha- there, the- there had never been one sighted, you know, there'd never been a sighting of yeah. one. I'm sure the parents know. Yeah, of mm-hmm. course. But I just, it is a little, uh, to me, but I'm, I'm always, I'm, I think I'm a paranoid parent when it comes to like water and my kids and things like that. And yeah, from yeah. growing up on Lake Michigan and I just, I have a very healthy, John always teases me at, but I have a very like healthy fear. I was a great swimmer in high school and on the swim team, but yeah, I have a healthy fear of water. And then you put some of these creatures in it. Forget about it. So alligators, when we get the statistics, <laughs> they're, they're not as dangerous as people think they are. It, and, and because a lot of people in Florida live in Louisiana, in South Carolina, no, in Georgia, in Texas, people live alongside gators and the attacks are, are ultra rare. But some of the differences between alligators and crocs, I think the one thing is crocs are more aggressive. So they're, they're, they're a little bit more that dangerous is, to people. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that is definitely repeated over and over, mm-hmm. and um, and different people that have ha- that I've worked with both and in, in uh, crocodile and alligator experts as far as some behavioral differences as far as aggression. Uh, but I think I'm more of a I'm more of a visual person. So from a visual point of view, I think if you lined up an alligator and a crocodile. I think you could probably start to suss out a little bit of the differences and start to have more of a trained eye because you want to look for the fact that alligators have like a wider U-shaped snout mm-hmm. where crocodiles front ends are a little bit more V-shaped mm-hmm. in, if you will. Mm-hmm. And then crocodiles are known for what they call a toothy grin. Yeah. When their, sh- when their snouts are shut, crocodiles look like they're flashing the fourth tooth on each mm-hmm. side of the lower jaw. So maybe it looks more like the crocodile needs to go to the dentist. I yeah. Suppose. <laughs> yeah. 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 And then other than that size, 
a crocodile is going to be several feet longer than an alligator. And with color, a crocodile is typically lighter. It's less of that drab green. Mm-hmm, so I think mm-hmm. the drab green, the army green that Chris was talking about before, uh, is more of an alligator color. Right. And, right. Mm-hmm. but I think the biggest thing is location, right? Chris, yeah. where they're, yeah. where they're from. Right, right. So you, your, your alligators are mostly in the Americas or North America and China. You know, mm-hmm. they find them in China. Mm-hmm. And then the crocodiles are Asia, Africa, North America, right there in Florida, Central America, the Caribbean. They're also in mm-hmm. Indonesia and North Australia. So crocodiles are more widespread around the planet versus alligators. But, you know, just they're amazing and- creatures. Yeah. In in regards to habitat, a crocodile will prefer water that's a little more salty than an alligator. Right, yeah. So they, a little more fresh water. Yeah, and that's it's the name of the show, saltwater crocodile. So they can swim in the ocean, and they have found them in the ocean. Long distances. Yes. Yes. Kid, <laughs> Australia, we love you. I've, I've got to go back. But, geez, you got some. Their <laughs> animals are just, like, tough. Like, bad <laughs> Mofos, you know, just like. Oh, and the Aussies are tough. Like, we Aussies can, are tough. Just, and that's what uh, I'm saying. Like, their animals match their, you know, they're just, they're just amazing and just yeah. amazing and tough. And I have yeah. a lot of respect for them. Yes, yes. And so the saltwater crocs, a pretty huge range, actually. So North Australia, all in Indonesia. So Papua New Guinea, Malaysia, mm-hmm. the Philippines, you know, India. Thailand, yeah. Cambodia, Vietnam, so all along the coast. So talking about swimming in the ocean, you know, they, they can. But the saltwater crocs, you know, that, that's kind of a iconic animal. One of the, the iconic species, I think, for Australia. And that's why we, we, we kind of talk about that. Now, crocodiles in general, like we were saying, all over the world with the 24 different species, again, they're going to be in tropical ranges. Now, the other crocodile that's pretty famous and I don't know if Peter Pan was a Nile crocodile or not. That's I don't know why I keep thinking of of, of that today. But the Nile crocodile is pretty much, mm-hmm. you know, not only in Egypt, you know, obviously Nile River where they got their name, but you know, Central West, Central East, and South Central Africa, they are everywhere. Yes, I have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, I have seen some Niles. Uh, crocodiles there you in the go. wild when yeah. I was in, uh, yeah, yeah, there you yeah. Go. I was yeah. more, I was more caring about the hippos, yeah. but yes, nope. <laughs> from a distance, from a very safe yeah. dip, distance, definitely saw some crocs. Yeah. Yeah. So there you and, go. Uh, yeah. And I think, and this, this would have been in, uh, Zambia. Okay. Yes. Okay. I know. Yeah. I remember in the hippo episode, you were talking about that and that's, that's one place I want to go so bad. Oh, but you didn't see any of the big. No. Yeah, I remember you were complaining. You didn't see any of some of the big ones, right? You just saw a bunch of antelope. <laughs> no, <laughs> Chris, I would never right. complain about my wildlife adventures. <laughs> uh, no, I, no, I, no, we've done pretty good. I have not seen a leopard, mm-hmm. um, or a rhino. Okay. So that's rhino, what it that was. It was a rhino. Yeah. That stings. Yeah. That, that burns a little bit. A little, I'm yeah. not, that's, you know, yeah. um, my girlfriend was so sweet when I first went. Uh, to visit her in Zambia and we saw like most of everything, but she knew I really wanted to see a rhino. And so she took me to like this drive through kind of backyard wildlife park. 
so we could see in Africa. Yes. Poor animals. No, the animals are in fine condition or whatever, but she was sweet. She wanted to make up for it. So yeah. I, so technically, I guess I have seen a white rhino, but I think it was not, I mean, it was, yeah, yeah it was not that was, what I would consider to be in a and, in the wild. And that was Allison, right? Our, our friend. No, this is oh, my this bestie is, okay. best. Uh, okay, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Allison's a, she's, uh, she's up there, but no, I, I want my mm. best friend from high school, uh, Nani. Oh, that's I did right. Peace that's right. In, Z- okay. mm-hmm, in okay. Zambia. And so okay. in my early twenties, I went and stayed with her for a while there. And that was my first time going to Africa. Allison was the second time. Okay. So well, I'm I don't just, know uh, what'll bring me there for a third time. I'm trying. <laughs> there's a conference in Kruger National Park. Oh, gosh. So I'm trying to put together some data to yeah. see if I can. Finagle Swing my it. way there. Uh-huh. Yeah, mm-hmm. Dr. Mortensen's Stay not tuned. there to, to pay for your trips anymore. So <laughs> I know that's what I'm saying. I have to find a sponsor. <laughs> Sorry. So, no, I, I bring up I bring up I Allison because if you haven't heard that interview, please go back and listen to Allison Kennedy Benson's talk on Rhino relocation. Like, just wow. Wow, I think about that interview with her, and it was just an amazing one with, with what she did with Rhino relocation there in Africa. Oh, yeah. And Take it from me firsthand. John and I got to go visit and stay with her while she was relocating rhinos, which she's so good at doing it. That's why we couldn't see them in the wild. They were so acclimated that <laughs> they were good. hiding from us. That's good. That's good. <laughs> they needed to. Now, crocodiles, you know, it, it's trying to convince people to care about reptiles. I mean, we go back to one of our first episodes of Poison Dart Frogs. You know, why care about reptiles? I mean, obviously, you know, they're very critical to biodiversity and the ecology of the environment. I just, you know, looking at this, of the 24 species, seven are critically endangered. Like a third, almost a third are endangered, like go heading towards extinction. That is scary. You know, right. that is not okay. Yeah. That is not okay. You know, and we're going to, when we get to conservation, we'll give you some numbers on them, but that is sad, you know, that, that there's again, an, well, another and, subset of species. We're talking... Yeah, we're talking about a species that is so amazing. I keep wanting, I keep wanting to say like a curse word today. I don't know why I have like a sailor's <laughs> mouth. I keep yeah, wanting, okay. I keep wanting to say like bad bleep. Yeah, no, bad bleep. no, 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 uh, and I yeah, won't. They but they're just so tough and but beautiful and amazing. Like punk rock. Maybe I'll just say punk rock. Right? They're just cool punk rock animals. They have been here around since the dinosaurs. No problem. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. recently, uh, how many, you said there's 23 or 24 species of crocodiles? Well, yeah, according to IUCN. So, and that includes, I mean, they're sure. crocodilians, you know, types, and they, and they even include alligators in that okay. assessment. Okay. So, yeah. And, but, you know, there's a, a a fair number of them that are critically endangered. And that to me is just really unacceptable. And I mean, mm-hmm. they've already made, they've already made, they made it through some, Serious climate changes, no mm-hmm. problem. I mean, Chris, crocodiles and alligators have lived through ice ages, through, I mean, other yeah, times lot. in history that maybe, yeah, meteorites. Yeah, yeah I mean. Stuff, right? Like crazy yeah. geological changes. And yet here we are today when we have all this technology and all this intelligence and all this and they're having issues. And so I feel like for all the kids out there that love dinosaurs, like my son that is still trying, he's, he's five and he gets extinction, but like mm-hmm. he doesn't get it, of course. And so ex- 
he's just such a huge dinosaur fan. Of course, he wants to be a paleontologist. But I just don't want to have to tell him that all of these animals that could have been saved in our lifetime, and it we, we didn't. We, we didn't do it. They went extinct on our watch for what I would consider to be non-natural reasons. Sorry, I'm yeah, non-natural extinction. I just, no, no, it is. I mean, it's, it is, it's, it's critical. I think, you know, and it's funny, like we keep going back to last week's episode, but you know, we talk about jellyfish and jellyfish are booming in the oceans because of sea turtles populations declining, fish populations declining. Right. They're so, natural checks and balances. Right. So you're, you're, it, it, it's an ecological imbalance. And you're taking out these top predators in critical ecosystems around the, around the world. And again, like we, it's a message you and I have been saying for a year and a half now. It, it's, you start knocking all these species out, you taking these legs out, or you, you start cutting off all the branches of the tree, the tree's going to die. You know, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is just an, a, another example of another species. Now, the saltwater croc, thankfully, is doing well. And, there was massive hunting going on in Australia. That is no longer the case. So they are actually rebounding right. quite nicely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, uh, I don't want to speak too much out of turn without, I didn't take the proper time to dive completely into the literature with the different regulations that were put into place. But from my understanding is basically Australia manned up and said, Hey, we've got, you know, we've got to protect this creature before it's gone. Cause I think they were down to something very small, like a couple thousand, if I read correctly. And of course, in, in their areas and their different territories, and they just put an end to, they just banned it. They said, this is no longer acceptable. Hunting's done. You'll be fine. You'll be in trouble. And their numbers are now booming. And yeah. it's very similar. It echoes to the efforts that were put forth here in the U.S. for the American alligator as well. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. And they're doing fine. So, and they're doing about. Oh, better, yeah. Right? And that's the thing is yeah. like there's so, you know, if anything, I think the Salty is, you know, that's their nickname, their loving nickname. Yeah. The Salty yeah. is, at least in, in Australia, is a f- beautiful, fine, happy ending story of what can happen when you put the right regulations in place. Mm-hmm. And of course there's checks and balances. There's still poachers out there and, and they're trying to figure out how to balance basically alligator farming for certain commercial mm-hmm. goods. And if that's sustainable or not with right. different populations. And so it's, it's not perfect. Um, right. right. And I don't, I don't, I don't think Chris or I are ever trying, ever trying to promote that there is a perfect solution to any of these crises. Mm-hmm. Any animal crises mm-hmm. out there or conservation issues, but man, at least taking steps forward are huge. And Australia did right. that and their numbers are, are much better than they were because of that. And yeah. I think it's just yeah. a shining example of animal conservation. Yeah. Working, working. So it's thank an, you, Australia. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Good day, Mike. So the scientific name for saltwater crocs is crocodilus porosus. And then here, Sounds here good. you go. Alligator. Do you know the scientific name for the alligator? That's something you should know as a gator, you know, gator grad. I should. It should be like on our entrance exam <laughs> yeah, I know. or exit it exam should. or something. Yeah. I can't believe I'm, oh, I wish I could go back and, and be your PhD advisor. So uh. what is the scientific name for the alligator? It's alligator Mississippiensis. <laughs> like I didn't Mississippi. Know that. Yeah, Mississippiensis. Like really. So interesting. Okay. <laughs> I guess somebody from Mississippi they, some, got somebody to name was them. kind of bored. Yeah, they're just like, ah, 
Mississippi, Mississippi, M-I-S-S-I-S-S, I-P-P-I. It's a big, yeah, it's a big one. Yeah. And then the Nile crocodiles, Crocodilus niloticus. So, and a bunch of words. Save big money when you start your next project today at Menards. Check out our great selection of garage and utility lighting options in stock, ready to take home today. We carry everything to help you illuminate whatever project you're working on. Shop garage and utility lighting products in store at your nearest Menards. You can also view all of our entire selection of lighting options today on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. I'm Jane Perlez, longtime foreign correspondent and former Beijing bureau chief for the New York Times. I've been a foreign correspondent in lots of places, Somalia, Indonesia, Pakistan, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I mean, China is not dropping anti-democratic paratroopers into Montana. But of course, we did see things like the weather balloon slash spy balloon riveting the whole country for a week. This is Face Off. An eight-part series in which we'll take you behind the scenes to key moments in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. We'll speak with a diplomat, a spy, a tech reporter, a U.S. admiral, even Yo-Yo Ma. Plus, my pal and noted China historian Rana Mitter joins the conversation. We'll look at what's driving the two nations apart and explore whether anything can help bring them back together. Face-off launches April 9th. Just to jump into evolution, you know, like I, I alluded earlier, the allosaurs, and I, I a little bit dove into this, but I'm not going to go into everything because I just thought it was so cool. Dates back about 200 million years. So they, yeah, I read again, two, 200 to 240. Yeah. Yeah. Long time, long time. So long. And they, they link it to allosaurs because of the, the holes in their skulls behind the eye socket. So. These early, they call them uh, diaspids. They had two holes. And so I guess alligators and crocodiles have that too. So, you know, again, looking at the bones and, and, and finding ancient crocodiles. So roughly at the end of the, the Triassic period, so over 200 million years ago, the allosaurs split off. And then that's when crocodiles came about. And then the archaeosaurs actually went and formed dinosaurs. So wow. they evolved right in step with dinosaurs. So they're yeah. that ancient. And I think the other thing to put into perspective about dinosaurs, because we're all used to just seeing them on TV shows or the movies or as toys or whatever, is and crocodiles and alligators with their prehistoric look like dinosaurs, as Chris just mentioned, related to dinosaurs, part of the branch, part of the split off. They're actually biologically, from a physiologically point of view, very complex, unlike the jellyfish that we covered last week. They have a four-chambered heart, a diaphragm, cerebral cortex. I mean, they're they're more in line with mammals than a lot other reptiles, if you will. So, you know, but they've been around forever. And they're relatively, in the last 100 million years or so, relative, relatively unchanged. Am I correct? Right. No, absolutely. Absolutely. And it, like, it's interesting. Like they're doing it well. Like their physiology has yeah. worked for them. Their behavior, which we're going to talk about here coming up there, their nutrition, their diet, their, re- their reproduction, it has worked. It's a tried and true and proven time and time again. It's worked for hundreds of millions of years. And so I just, that just blows my mind. I just find that super incredible. 
Right, right. And the, it's just when you think about it and you start wrapping your mind around it, di- you know, not only did dinosaurs were very successful, lived for hundreds of millions of years, you know, on earth, these things have, have lived just as long, right? So they've been just as successful. The, the first, first crocodile is about 200 million years ago is, is when they have some different candidates that they, they think was the first one. And it was interesting looking at some of the history or the natural history of them. They used to be on land. So these allosaurs used to be kind of land dwelling crocodile mm-hmm. type, you know, yeah. bipedal. Some of them were bipedal, but mostly on I was four say, legs. Yeah, they're two legs or four legs. Okay. Yeah, bipedal, mostly yeah. four, but there was some bipedal ones. And it was the rise of the dinosaurs that drove them into the water. And so they had to evolve to survive there. Now, the last mass extinction 60 million years ago, when it killed off the dinosaurs, it killed off the super crocs, which I'm going to talk about next. And the scientists think, you know, the the smaller crocs that we see today survived probably because they didn't need as much food or resources to survive, you know, when most of the planet was wiped out. You know, some of these, the smaller ones, slow metabolism when we get there is really interesting and didn't need as much food uh, to survive. Now, the largest croc, this is cool because this goes back to Titanoboa and going back to, oh gosh, what was, that? what was the snake we covered? The big one, the, um, Burmese, Burmese python. python. Is that the one we, yeah, mm-hmm. we did the Burmese python and I talked about Titanoboa and, you know, how UF discovered that. So that when they had the Titanoboa exhibit, they had the, the largest turtle, which we covered and then the largest croc and the scientist who was down there, this is what he was looking for bones for these super crocs in Colombia. Wow, okay. Mm-hmm. And he sent the bones to the lab there in Florida and the grad student goes, Oh no, that's a snake bone. And then he discovered Titanoboa. So the largest croc was Sarasuchus dubbed the super croc. Guess how many feet long it was. <laughs> it's, it's like, I don't know, like 40. Yeah. Bing, ding, 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 ding. Dr. Oh. Angie Atkin. Yeah, you got it. You got it. So 40 feet long and weighed about 10 tons. So oh, just Oh, I wouldn't have guessed that weight. That yeah. weight I would not have guessed. Like That's if you... So I'm trying to look... I'm looking like across my, uh, like my bedroom into my living room and I'm trying 40 to... Feet. 40 feet. Crocodile. Crocodile. I mean, Titanoboa, I think was like 60 feet, but... <laughs> Whoa, I, these super predators. Oh my goodness. Like I, it's I funny, you like these movies that do time machines and stuff. Could you imagine that? I wouldn't want to be a human living around that and like, Oh my God, Mm-mm. anything could eat you in one <laughs> bite. Oh my goodness. So yeah, they were, they were huge. They were huge in South America. And then they, all the super crocs died out when the meteor came and boom, blew everything up. Right. So the, a good, a cool thing about crocodiles is they live forever. <laughs> they live super long. So on average, 70 years, mm-hmm. some over 100. And I, the this oldest croc, yeah, the oldest croc today, and I'm going to put this video online because I found it. His name is Cassius and mm-hmm. he's in Australia. He's 112 and he's Aww. almost. Yeah, he's almost 3,000 pounds and weighs 18. He's, he's only 18 feet. So he, they obviously feed him really well because <laughs> he's pretty heavy. And it's in Green Island off Cairns in North Queensland. So I have a video of them feeding this old guy, but 112, 112. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he was born That's in 1900 incredible. something. Crocs have 
talking about size, major sexual dimorphism, right? Like huge difference in size. Say yes. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Looking at me like, what are you saying? I didn't study that. So, okay. So Angie, yes. I must have huge... read that part right now. <laughs> so the males can be up to, I mean, 23 feet is huge. I mean, 18 to 20 feet is usually what they get, but that's still huge. And they weigh 2,000 pounds, you know, 1,200 kilograms, over right. 2,000 the, the Yeah, the males are the big ones for sure. They're huge. Females are half that size, 10 feet or three meters. Wow. And they okay. only weigh, they only weigh, listen to this, 230 pounds on average or 100 kilograms. Wow. Okay. The, the males are 10 That's times the weight. It, yeah. <laughs> I can't wait to get to Jeez. repro because, oh my God, man, <laughs> did they mate? <laughs> Holy smokes. Oh, uh, well, I, f- I focused a lot, a little bit more on the moms and the babies this time, but, uh, uh yeah, the, I, well, yeah, you put a very good visual on it. I guess I hadn't really put them side by side and that, that is, that is crazy different, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Like I didn't realize they were that big in size difference. Like that's a huge difference. Yeah, like twice that's the length. Huge. Yeah. I don't know if we've, yeah, that's bigger than what we've covered before. I feel like. anything I twice. Know. Yeah. I mean, twice the, the length and 10 times the weight. Like yeah. holy smokes. Those big, those boys are big. They grow them big yeah. in Australia. They're they're big down there. <laughs> go big or go home, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, well, Chris, for me, kind of the rabbit hole I went down a little bit this week was basically the physiology of the fact that they're often found in brackish waters and then, of course, open ocean, but mm-hmm. that they can be found in fresh and or salt water. And so... For me, that physiology, I, I wanted to try to understand it a little bit. And it's just, as far as the salties go, the reason they're able to do this, to move from brackish, fresh waters, brackish waters into salt waters is because they have this salt excreting gland that's located mm-hmm. under their tongue. Yeah. And, and there's also a valve in the back of its throat that allows it to open its mouth while breathing through its nose without ingesting that rush of salt water in their mouth. You're right. And it's called the palatal flap. And they also, you know, have a, a special path from the nostrils to the back of their throat. So I guess that helps breathing. When you were talking about that, that's one thing I looked at too. Their physiology was the salt water and going back to turtles, sea turtles, sure. you know, mm-hmm. and they cry. So it made me think like, Oh, they don't excrete salt like the sea turtles do. And through these tear ducts. So then I thought, do you remember, you've heard the term crocodile tears? Yeah. You've heard that term, right? Okay. So crocodile mm-hmm. tears. Here, here's a, a factoid, right? So you always like to say for, for your dinner parties or whatever. So why they think crocodiles cried, you know, and, and crocodile tears is basically mean when somebody's, you know, trying to fake cry or, Oh, I'm so sad. You know, we've all dealt with people like that in our life who shall remain unnamed. So. Crocodiles actually cry and, and when they do, it's when they're, they're hunting. So I think that's where this originated is like they'll kill something and then it looks like they're crying. Like, Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm killing you. Why I eat you? Oh, and, interesting. I did not know that. Yeah. And it has nothing to do with them being sorry. It's because they said when they, when at a feeding site, they hiss and they huff and they do all this <laughs> stuff that flushes their tear ducts. And so they do cry tears a little bit 
It has nothing to do with feeling bad about eating something. <laughs> like they're just ha- happy as clams have, when they go and. <laughs> that's funny. Does it have anything to do with um, helping them excrete salt or no? No, no, not at all. They it's don't that, really have that yeah, issue. It's the tongue. Yeah, it's okay. the tongue. So, so crocodile tears. There you go. They they actually do tear up when they eat, but it has nothing to do with feeling bad. Now their nostrils do close when they submerge, and on average, I was kind of curious. They they dive for up to six minutes can stay down mm-hmm. for up to 15 mi- minutes. Now, they do start to drown if they're held under for close to 30 minutes, right? So okay. I, I read that. Like, especially when people are, like, chasing them or trying to keep them under, they, they can drown. Now, this one was – this factoid I thought was quite interesting because it just gets into reptile physiology. They actually did measure an alligator that stayed submerged for eight hours, but it was in extremely cold water. Hmm. So – that was the only way, it, and you've heard stories of people like that drown in freezing cold water and they revive them and stuff because it really slows down the body metabolism, yeah. like super mm-hmm. slow. And they do that when they dive. So it's always interesting looking at these different species, like whales and things that can dive deep, sea turtles, things we talked about, you know, that these animals are able to slow their metabolism and get this, Angie, when a crocodile dives, it heart beats only two to three times per minute per minute. Wow. That's, that's how crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So they're barely yeah. alive. <laughs> yeah. They just, yeah. they go under and they just chill out and their, their blood's just shunted to some critical tissues. And again, similar to whales and these other uh, diving animals, their blood has a greater ability to carry oxygen, say compared to us. Right. So, Mm -hmm. so just some different physiology that they have. Well, and speaking of other like fun legends that there's this Australian legend that crocodiles can sleep with one eye open, but just recently scientists have proven that to be true. So researchers out of Australia reported that salties join other aquatic, a couple other aquatic animals and birds and the ability to do what is called unihemispheric sleep. I'm mm-hmm. probably saying that wrong. But basically, it involves shutting down one half of their brain at a time while keeping the other half alert to danger. And their central nervous system is wired such that the right eye can remain open when the left side of the brain is awake. Does that make sense? I see you yeah. trying it. <laughs> Your face yeah, no, is the other side. right now. <laughs> it's, mm-hmm. it's like when I close mm-hmm. my right eye, yeah, my left brain would be asleep. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, because it's opposite. So, it's, it's wider, yeah. It is opposite. But if you think about it, and I, of course, am no neurologist, and so I – the you know the the heavy science stuff is a little beyond my beyond my scope and i think researchers are just at the cusp of even starting to try to understand how it works right um but it is it's a, a survival mechanism right i mean if mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. Can, you know if you're if you can be half awake and ready for any attack then you're more likely to survive for 200 million years right yeah and yeah. But the the researchers reported disconcertingly that some of these experiments showed that the crocodiles were particularly likely to keep an eye out when humans <laughs> were nearby versus when crocodiles. But okay. I think that that points out not necessarily like an attack, but I think it goes to show that 
crocodiles have a healthy fear of humans as well, right? Like they're not, and we'll talk about it more later in the podcast. They're not Mm -hmm. trying to go after people. It's more people coming Mm -hmm. into their, their territories when, you know, when, when, uh, incidents, they get attacked. So, mm -hmm. so yeah. So, so crocodile tears, and now we have sleeping with one eye open. <laughs> I'm open. Crocodiles, you know, they do. They do. And, you know, talking about humans, so the nutrition of them, I mean, they're an ambush predator. And I think that's where people get in trouble. You know, they sure. they don't, you know, they go to the water's edge. They're looking, you know, these animals are just looking for movement, things that their senses can detect, vibrations in the water. They go up and they grab and they eat, you know, and they mm-hmm. eat anything. They're carnivores. They Their diet's huge. Yeah, yeah. Huge range. I won what one place to, yeah. yeah. Chris, I was cracking up one place and mm-hmm. I had to Google it, but like one place described mm-hmm. him as a hyper carnivorous apex predator. Yeah. No, that's perfect. <laughs> I mean, they, no, I know, but I was like, that's a lot of adjectives yeah. <laughs> just, just to yeah. describe a carnivore. <laughs> they are. I mean, they, they are not selective eaters. They eat almost no. anything. That they yeah. can get their hands on, you know, they, wallabies, cattle, water buffalo, crabs, uh, turtles, other reptiles, they sharks. find foxes, sharks. Mm-hmm. I mean, so, you know, humans really aren't something that they're out looking for. They're not but hunting humans. No, mm-hmm. no, no. But, you know, again, it's, it's, they come up and they're like, oh, food. And they just go up and eat. And then, you know, the next thing, somebody got crunched. But the the good news is with these apex predators is they don't need very much food. They no. can go they can go with the yeah they can go a year without eating one year. Could you go one year without eating? <laughs> I know I no can't. I can't go barely one hour. Without <laughs> yeah, I, know. It's like, I think we if we talk about this like giraffes or something with giraffe evolution. Well, maybe that's like, part of the, yeah. Maybe that's part of their longevity. Yeah. You know, all these new yeah. nutritional studies are talking about like intermittent fasting and it helps slow mm-hmm. cells aging process. So. Maybe that's part of what'd you say the croc's name was that uh that's one hundred and twelve years old? Oh, Cassius, yeah, yeah. Maybe Cassius, that's some Cassius yeah. secrets. He, he eats like once yeah. a year, and so everything's just slowed down, right? Yeah, no. Oh God, I'm gonna die young then if I have to fast all the time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I fast all the time. Yeah, but I mean, on average, the saltwater croc eats about fifty times a year. So you know, okay. Not a ton. They're not eating once a no. day. They, they, they intermittently. This was cool. You would like this. So I know you, you like to talk a lot about poop and it would be interesting to look at a crocodile's poop, but <laughs> I love said- poop. I have an, I have a new class this semester and I'm like, just so you guys know, like there's a few things I talk a lot about, a lot about and it's definitely poop. So I always ask, I warn my class in the beginning. You'll be here. You'll be hearing a lot of reproductive terminologies. I love poop. Uh, you'll, you'll learn too much information about my C-section and my vaginal birth. You'll, you'll, you'll know me way too well. <laughs> Your class is going to be full and you, next you week. can cut, you can cut that out if you want, but yes, I guess if people listen to this podcast, they should know as well, right? It's nature, but yes. Anyways, sorry. Yeah. Uh, speaking no, of poop, no, let's, so, let's learn. Okay. Yeah. Speaking of poop. So the crocodile's stomach is the most acidic of all vertebrates because they digest everything. Bone, right? the horns, Bones, the, hair, the hooves, hor- horns. Shells, shells, everything. Wow. So nothing gets left behind. So I'd, I'd be curious to see, like we always talk about, the reason Angie likes poop so much is not the smell or stuff like that. It is because you learn so much about the animal. Looking at the feces tells you a lot about their health, their diet, yes. 
what they ate, you know, almost when they ate and how mm-hmm. well their, their system's working. What they're excreting, what, you know, ho- different hormones, different toxins. I mean, a lot, you can learn a lot. And yeah, so. because farts and poop are funny. <laughs> let's not, <laughs> let's not forget that. I don't know. My two year old, Chris, like he'll toot. He'll make a little fart. Yeah. Whatever, however yeah. you call it. And he thinks it's hilarious. And I'm like, how do they I'm learn wrong. that at two? <laughs> I, don't I mean, know. isn't that I silly? So it is. They're boys. Boys are just boys. Uh, no, I think girls boys. get a, don't. I, they are. Yeah, my boys are definitely boys, but I think girls yeah. get kicks out of toots too. We're just not, you know, yeah. technically it's not, it's not as kosher, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, I guess. I guess. One of the things we've talked about before is the bite force. And mm-hmm. we did say the saltwater croc has the strongest bite force of any animal on the planet, period. Yes. Now, not next to a dinosaur, right? I think we said dinosaurs were huge and bigger, we thought. But 3,700 pounds per square inch. Like, insane. huge, huge. Can you and that's give that, laboratory Can tough. you make that re- relatable for me? What is it? Like, what did that, that, would that be like me biting through? For a- humans, again, our bite force is 100 to 150 PSI. So you're talking 3,700. Okay. And, you know, you're trying to, to, I think alligators are like 28, 2,900 PSI. So you're talking about they can, they can do some damage. They can do a lot of damage. Remember the, the video? It was, it was right there in Gainesville of the sheriff where the alligator, the, the sheriff was trying to shoo it back into Paints Prairie and the alligator t- tore off the bumper of the sheriff's car. It made, it was like YouTube no, like five years but ago. To- yeah. I'll, I'll see if I'll I can find it. it. Yeah, okay. I'll see if I can post on the show notes. But yeah, it's 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 hilarious because he's like trying to shoo it back, like go back, go back. You know, don't come up to the. It's it's that one exit with the uh, the rest stop right there on Payne's hmm. Prairie, and the alligator just chomps the bumper and just rips it off in like two seconds, like just gone. So wow. yeah, incredible, incredible, incredible. They grab and they don't let go. Well, and that kind of leads into another one of their behaviors called the death roll. And this is what more salties are known for. I'm not sure about American alligators, but it's a hunting behavior and it's only reserved for large prey. But basically after drowning its its victim or its prey, the crocodile will rapidly roll, 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 roll in the water in order to remove the creature's limbs because uh, crocodile's teeth are designed for gripping and snapping shut with all that force, like Chris mentioned, but they're not really designed for tearing flesh, like a lion, if you will. Mm-hmm. So this death roll behavior is, I guess, supposed to help tear up the body better. And I've read some of their behaviors too, is they, they like to, you know, the, their prey, they like to stuff under logs, underwater, so they kind of rot a little bit, so it's easier to rip off. So you know, softer, yep. Yeah, mm-hmm. stuff like that. So they're, I mean, the Nile crocs, you watch those videos of the mass migrations in East Africa, and you just watch the crocs like grabbing, you know, gazelle and zebras, and oh God, just some of it is just so like jaws, <laughs> jaws <Yeah>. of, <laughs> of nature. Prehistoric, man. But they it's are, work it's are. worked for millennia, right? For a long, long time. Oh, yeah. So but a lot of the other behavior of crocodiles, some may think they're boring, but I think they're rather beautiful and interesting to watch. But in general, they spend a lot of time thermoregulating, right? Because they're quote unquote exotherms or cold cold blooded. And they need they need exterior, external 
environmental forces like the sun to help control their body temperature. And when they get too hot, they go into the water with only basically their eyes and their not their nostrils sitting out and they'll cool off. And when they become too cold, vice versa, they'll go lay out in the sun and sun themselves on some rocks. What I really loved reading about with the saltwater crocodile, the salties, right up my alley, Chris. Mm-hmm. The saltwater crocodile is thought to be one of the most intelligent and sophisticated reptiles of all time. And the more people study it and researchers are learning about it, they are finding that it has really unique forms of communication um, and with individuals. And so I don't want to go out on a limb and say like language or anything like that, but they definitely have a more sophisticated communications than some of the other reptiles we have talked about. So for instance, the salties are known uh, to bark as a way of communicating with each other. And researchers have identified about four different calls. There's a distress call and that's normally performed by juveniles. And this distress call is like a little more higher pitched. Uh, they also have threat calls that they, and I think you mentioned kind of the hissing and coughing mm-hmm. that they mm-hmm. will do at, at an intruder. Um, we'll get there in a minute when we get to reproduction and offspring, but they actually have a hatching, hatchling call and that's performed only by newborns and it's a short bark with a high tone. And lastly, they have a courtship bellow which is a long, low growl, which makes all the ladies come to the yard. <laughs> so. No, yeah, it's, they're very intelligent is what I read. They have some of the most complex brain for any reptile. You know, you're talking about their sound perception. You know, one thing I, I read before we jump into repro and their courtship behaviors is it's funny. Researchers know that you can't capture, capture the same croc twice using the same techniques. They learn really quickly. So different types of traps mm-hmm. and stuff, the croc will learn. Nope, nope, that ain't happening. And after one time, that's it. <laughs> Chris, I'm telling you, like they're if 200 million years, yeah. man. They've got a lot of secrets, secrets to, to their success, right? right? They, they have, you have to be intelligent, be able to stick around. And well, I think the other thing that was almost, mammalian or like mammals learning about was the crocodile courtship behavior. Cause so we talk a lot about birds and mammals and how some of the fun things they do. Uh, but yes, in crocodiles, they almost have a mating dance. So this is going to be the males, these giant mm-hmm. long males mm-hmm. to attract their smaller, uh, in size and statue females. And, <laughs> I always have to giggle to myself. It just keeps me entertained of, of picturing my husband doing some of these, <laughs> these courtship behaviors. And so, he does, he does do hippo I, calls uh, and, you know, what other animal calls have we done? I know. Yeah. I feel he could definitely handle this one. Some of these, like a panda doing almost like, what was, oh, the panda was a funny one where he like be- goes up backwards, like <laughs> in a tree. handstand <laughs> on a tree to wipe his scent gland. I was like, okay, yeah, John can't do that. That's, that's goofy. Uh, he would not do that. But no, I, this one, this one is, is up his alley. It's basically a male begins above the water while producing these low frequency infrasounds. Um, John can do that. He's got a nice mm-hmm. low voice. Now humans can't hear these, uh, in the, you know, with the crocodiles and 
but researchers have said that you can like feel the vibrations traveling through the water and you can actually even see pressure waves. So, you know, they're doing that. And then the male may slap the snout on the water and blow water from his nose and perform like little arch positions, like little, I think kind of like arching the back and arch positions. And when it's a little closer to the female, he'll release an oily musk, which floats on the surface of the water, <laughs> um, to further entice the females. I like a little essential oil, so I can get behind <laughs> yeah, that. I I'm can. sure it smells wonderful. <laughs> I'm sure it's just, oh God. <laughs> but the female, um, as the male's leading the dance, the female also participates with her own set of auditory, visual, and olfactory signals. So I like that I would have a role in this. And, once again, highlighting their intelligence and their communication during this whole courtship routine, the pair is in constant communication mm-hmm. with each other. And once they finally pick each other and agree to um, to meet up again, they'll tender, tenderly rub each other's on the snouts and the backs, and sometimes they even blow bubbles. Isn't that charming? <laughs> yeah. So... Yes, and then they'll breed, which may last up to an hour, and they'll twist and turn and do all sorts of uh, typical reptilian things to make sure that the male, to make sure that the male penis can align with the female cloaca. And this breeding season for salties is going to occur in the months of November through March, and most of the time the breeding grounds are in fresh water. See, once again, they move from fresh to salt. It's pretty and incredible. And just, uh, just to uh, jump in and make a note, that is uh, summer and spring for Australia. Remember? Yeah. Ah, yes. Good. Thank you for that. Because North yes. America people are thinking, oh, they it's the winter. Away. They breed in the winter. No, 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 no. It's opposite down there. So they're they're basking in the warm that sun now while we're freezing here in the States. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Okay. And – I think it's important to note, too, that these courtship dances and all this romance, this crocodilian love, actually does not happen um, until a female is 10 to 12 years old is when she reaches sexual maturity. And Chris, the male, that big male that you keep talking about, he doesn't reach sexual maturity until he's 16. Okay, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, when we talk about, uh, you know, longevity in life and life cycle, you can kind of see, I mean, they're not, they're not producing offspring for a long mm-hmm. time, right? Um, but when the female is impregnated, she will end up laying anywhere 40 to 60 eggs, but she can lay, lay up to 90. And the eggs will be placed in mounded nests made from plant material and mud and then buried. And since it's the wet season, um, sometimes they're elevated so they don't get, like the eggs don't flood out. And so the male doesn't really have much of a role once um, his courtship dance and breeding is done. But the female is interesting, Chris, especially for a reptile. She sticks around. She sticks around and protects her nest and her eggs from predators and humans. And Chris, during this incubation period of 90 days while the um, before the, uh, the baby crocs are hatched, I think it's important to mention, I know we talked about in sea turtles, but as a, as a reptilian species, the sex determination, so whether these baby crocodiles are going to be males or females, is directly related to the temperature mm-hmm. of the nest or the temperature that they're incubating in. So males are typically produced around 31.6 degrees Celsius. And if this temperature is increased or decreased just a little, females will be produced. 
So typically lower incubation temperatures produce mostly females where higher temperatures will produce mostly mm-hmm. males. Mm-hmm. It's the general kind of golden rule. So these are things to consider when we're talking about climate change. And I know in sea turtles, they're already seeing effects with that. I didn't dive into literature enough to find out if they're having issues with that with salties at this point in time, as far as skewed mm-hmm. sex mm-hmm. ratios, but something to definitely consider, right? As we move forward. And when it's time for the baby hatchlings, the baby crocodiles to be born, the female, the mama, the mama croc will unearth the eggs when she hears that chirping, that communication sound that we talked about earlier that, that her offspring make after they hatch. So it's, they're basically, she can hear them coming out. They make the cry. She knows to help dig them out and help them assist them if they need any assistance. And then unlike anything I've ever I guess I knew about this, but I hadn't really studied it so much. I probably saw, caught a little bit of it on like wild crats or some mm-hmm, cartoons mm-hmm. that make animal cartoons that are amazing for the oh, record. Wild crats for kids, awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah. Octonauts is another fun animal one, but what this mama crack does is amazing, Chris. And I'll put some videos up on, I think I sent you one yeah. the other night. I was yeah. like, Chris, check yeah, this they are out. Amazing. This mama crack assists the offspring into the water. By carrying them into her mouth, and depending on the species of croc, she will tend to them for a while, basically until they learn how to swim and knows know they're safe. So yeah, for, for a reptile, it's, it's crazy. Different. Yeah. yeah. For a yeah. reptile, I mean that's very. I mean we talk about mammals a lot, and of course moms have a big role depending on the species. But I mean we just did sea turtles, and sea turtles are yeah. on their own, yeah. right? You know the mom does, yeah. and so it's just. I don't know when we talk about like intelligence and just care. And I guess if you are scared of crocodiles or you don't like them or whatever, I mean, please go to our show notes and watch this video of this huge ginormous uh, crocodile mom, this mama crocodile basically scooping up these teeny tiny newly hatched uh, crocs, baby crocs, carrying them in her mouth to the water and then making sure they're all Mm -hmm. okay. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's incredible. Paper, it yeah. blew my mind. And I was like, I want to study that. That is just, I mean, um, but I guess the, the, the flip side or the, the kind of the, the reason why she does this or has probably evolved to do this is that mortality rate for little crocodiles, especially in salties is really high due to extensive predation. So only one about researchers estimate that only about 1% of newborn salties will survive to adulthood. And then from there, Chris, like we're talking about, you know, what, 10, 15 years till sexual maturity for males and females. So it's a, it's I mean, tough. to get to be a hundred years yeah. old, it, it's, it's tough. Yeah. And that's where it's like the conservation's going pretty well right now, I think overall, but you know, it, it only takes like one disease or some other issues to do a lot of right. damage. And it takes up this, it takes salties a long time to right, rebound. Right. Yeah. It's a huge generation interval and, you know, going into conservation, you know, talked, we opened up with why care and the seven critically endangered species and four more that are vulnerable. The, the most, I don't think we ever said which name. No, So were. the most one, I yeah. I think we ever said their name. So, the, the most endangered is the Chinese alligator. And again, this is IUCN, so they kind of group them all together. 
the Chinese alligator, there's only 86 mature adults on earth left. So they're, they're, oh, they're in big trouble. Yeah. The Philippines crocodile, there's only 129 individuals left. Now near you, the Cuban crocodile, that one's critically endangered. There's maybe mm-hmm. 5,000 left. So, you know, of the seven critically endangered, those are the numbers you're, you're dealing with. You're dealing with, again, a, a Chinese alligator on their way to extinction probably will go extinct unless something major happens. Philippine crocodile on their way to extinction. Cuban crocodile on its way down. So, yeah, I mean, there are species out there. Now, the salties are doing fine. Now, crocodiles are doing okay. But... Right, because the protections yes. were put into place. And that's where I think with point. some of these... These populations that are like 5,000 or, you know, it's like they, hopefully there's protections in place to, uh, to help those guys rebound. Um, because I think Australia is a very fine example of if you regulate people yeah. and our policy, you can, you can help these animals out. Big right, time. right, right. So who's out there fighting for crocs <laughs> besides all of Australia? <laughs> Well, Chris, I want to give a shout out to the Australia Zoo first and foremost, and that's in Queensland, Australia. And people are, I'm sure, very familiar with, uh, the famous, uh, mm. Steve Irwin and the Ugh. legend. Love uh, him. The, I know, I know, love mm. him. Uh, he just, uh, he was the croc hunter and, but he evolved to be much, much more than that. Uh, he was an iconic figure for us growing up. Um, and, for us learning about species and basically learning to love um, some of these, you know, less lovable creatures like the crocodile. Um, and so he began his research, his crocodile research in the 1980s and people just fell in love with him and his humor and his uh, basically his grace and his, uh, his passion for, you know, all critters, right. Especially crocodiles. So, uh, to this day, the Australia Zoo is in partnership with the University of Queensland, and they're basically zoo wildlife warriors, and they manage some of the most successful croc research projects in the world. Um, and they're scientists and conservationists and media and just a whole slew of team of people that work together to conduct research, educate people, um, they tag and track crocodiles. They monitor behavior, right? And mm-hmm. movements and physiology. So I would love to get on that team. Uh, of course they, um, they collect samples from crocs to figure out what foods they're eating. I can obviously get into the digestive physiology of that. And they look at their moving, their movement and their ability to return to their home ranges after, um, different issues with uh, the climate. And, one of the biggest things they focus on here with the um, the wildlife warriors with the crocodilian re- with the crocodile research is how to manage um, the coexistence in a healthy way between crocodile and people. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I just want to give a shout out to Australian Zoo and their wildlife warriors, and of course Steve Irwin, all of his fans, all mm-hmm. of Australia. They've done a great job, I think, to help showcase that yes, this is a big prehistoric, powerful animal. But they they need us to fight for them just as much, if not more, than probably some of the fluffy and furry critters. Yeah, yeah, no, there's yeah, awesome. And of course, you can find any information uh, about the Australia Zoo or the Zoo Wildlife Warriors on Facebook, and we'll put links into our show notes so you can check out them and all the amazing work that they do for 
crocodiles for the salties. Yeah, no, I mean, oh, I love him. Love him. And I love his wife, Terry. Like, uh, one person I, I would definitely like to meet in life. Um, you know, the work that they do down there is just amazing. So conservation tips this week is it just focused on water conservation. Uh, one of the things uh, thinking about was, you know, low, there, there's these things now today throughout the world, low flush toilets. So if you do buy one. a new toilet, too. yeah, yes. yeah. amazing. they work really well. Yep. They work really well. And if you don't have one, there's something you can do. You can, you know, some of these plastic water bottles that we get, you know, what you can do is fill it with water or rocks and stick it in the toilet, not the toilet itself, but in the, the water reservoir. So there's mm-hmm. less water being used and it still works on, you know, flushing oh, your toilet. It's just these, yeah. yeah, the older toilets, they just had too much water. So you're actually just wasting a lot of it to, you know, the older toilets just use way too much water. So uh, that's one way you can save some water. And this is one thing, I, you know, if you're debating on a shower or a bath, take a shower. It uses much less water. And there's actually low flow shower heads now that use less water. And, and just a couple ways you can you can use as our resources are, are being depleted, you know, as the population's booming. Now, Angie, you were saying something about outrunning a croc. Yes. Do you think you could outrun a croc? <laughs> <laughs> it depends. Did I just Did you eat a Thanksgiving croc? dinner or? <laughs> um... <laughs> oh, I'd still outrun it. I don't care. <laughs> I'd be, I'd be hauling butt. Uh, yeah. yeah. I think the, the short answer is yes. Most of us could outrun a croc. Um, crocodiles can achieve about 12 to 14 kilometers per hour for short periods, which is slower than most fit humans can run. So if you're in reasonable shape, you can definitely outrun a crack. So I think that's the goal, right? Yeah, that's yeah. that's the New Year's goal is like, if you're yeah. not fit, at least get in reasonable enough shape so you can. <laughs> what's what's the thing? At least you'd have to be faster than the person behind you, right? Mm-hmm. You just. <laughs> I, like that's what, that's what John always says to my husband. He's like, he's like, I don't have to be the fastest uh-huh. person. I just have to be faster than the slowest person. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So they, they, they don't, they, they can move somewhat quickly, but, but not that. And they swim up to 15 to 18 miles per hour or 24 to 29 kilometers per hour. So faster, it's a little water. bit fast mm-hmm. in the water. Yeah. Now getting to the statistics on, on human attacks, the first, I just want to start with the American alligator. They are now the statistics. I got this. I think this is from the National Science Foundation in the United States. On average, there's about 10 attacks per year in the state of Florida from alligators. Okay. And that seems kind of high. You know, I, I, we hear them in the news it every now does, and then, but it, you know, it happens. But that's not fatal, right? That's just attacks. No, no. T- attacks. Less than 6% of alligator attacks are fatal. Okay. Less than 6%. Mm-hmm. So they're very rare. It's very, very rare. And, and again, the season of year is in the warmer season because that's when they're on the move. That's when their breeding season season is. Sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So that's when you have to watch out. Now the salties are not the most deadly, but there is about three, three to four attacks per year in Australia. But of those only 25% are fatal. So one out of four Mm -hmm. roughly is fatal in Australia. Malaysia, it's a little bit higher, 50%. And, I guess it kind of makes sense because when you have a lot of people that, you know, they're depending on the river, sure, like in Africa washing too. dishes, yeah, clothes, they're, they're using the water yeah. resources more mm, in a yeah. more intimate way. Yeah. 
So yeah, the, the Nile Crocs, the worst it's for with humans, 63% of the attacks are fatal. Don't have a lot of good data on it. The, the one statistic they had is there's, there's greater than 300 attacks per year, okay. uh, by the Nile crocodile. And again, 63% of those are fatal. And again, during the warm season when they're on the move and they're more active than that. So overall, the statistics show about a thousand people per year are killed by crocs. I think more people are still killed by cows. I still get over the statistic <laughs> yeah. that 24 people a year in the States, in the United States are killed by cows. Right. So yeah. I think cows kill more people on earth than crocodiles. So definitely bee stings and other things are more deadly than crocodiles, but they still, you have to respect them. You have to respect where they live and, and just be you mindful, know, careful. Right. And in, 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 yeah. And in Africa, Hippos are one. We talked about that. Lions are two than the Nile crocodile. So lions kill more people in Africa than crocodiles. So it's not, you know, they're not the, the, you just have to respect. Right. Well, they're doing what they've evolved and been great at doing for 200 million years. So you gotta, Mm -hmm. you gotta give mad props, mad respect for that for sure. Other than that, another great podcast. We have a ton of stuff coming. Send, keep sending the requests. Oh, we love the requests. And this yes. is for Damien. Yeah. Yeah. So shout out to Damien in the UK. And, um, you know, keep it coming. And we're going to keep doing this. All right. This. Thank you, everyone. Have a great day. Listen. Learn. Share. Join the movement at allcreaturespod.com. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.